The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Some Pharisees and Herodians were sent to Jesus to ensnare him in his speech. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are a truthful man and that you are not concerned with anyone's opinion. You do not regard a person's status, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or should we not pay? Knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought one to him, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they replied to him, Caesar's. So Jesus said to them, Repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. And they were utterly amazed at him. The Gospel of the Lord. As we've been noting, as our, we come to the end of our engagement with the Gospel of Mark on our weekdays, we are hearing things, events, teachings, discourses that Christ gave during the original Holy Week 2,000 years ago, just a matter of days before he is crucified. And to appreciate what we are hearing in the Gospels, we have to recognize that. There is a note of ultimacy, even a note of life and death, about the words we hear in our Gospels today. And so this engagement with the Pharisees and the Herodians is set in that period of Jesus' life that period where he is about to stretch out his arms on the cross. And so there's a certain irony about the way this reading goes, where he says, repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God, because in just a couple days, what will these same Pharisees and Herodians be shouting to Pontius Pilate? But we have no king but Caesar. Christ is aware of that. And so here it is that this engagement happens in Jerusalem just a short time before the Lord is arrested and condemned. And we hear that as they approach Jesus, quite deliberately in their hearts, the intention is not to learn from him, but to ensnare him, to entrap him to trip him up, in other words, to bring danger crashing down upon him in some way. And as is often the case, the one who seeks our ill 
begins with the honeyed words of flattery. Because you bait the trap. And so they come to him, teacher, we know that you're an honest man. We know that you're a bold man. We know that popular opinion doesn't matter to you, and you speak the unvarnished truth simply and directly without worrying about what anybody thinks. Notice what that invites, a rash and unthinking statement. And this is the way the world often works. It begins with a flattery that invites foolishness. It begins with a flattery that invites recklessness. You judge rightly, you don't let anyone influence you, and if we simply look around society, we see over the centuries how we've been afflicted by those who put themselves forward as leaders who tell it like it is and speak the unvarnished truth, and who recklessly shift things away from the ways of God. And so it is here. They set Jesus up appealing to the pride which so easily masters the human heart so that filled with himself, as men are prone to be, he will speak proudly, arrogantly, and in the end, self-destructively. Because the question they ask him is one that is fraught with great peril. Is it lawful to pay the tax or not? And if he says, yes, it is, he makes himself an enemy of those who, for religious reasons, style themselves opponents. He makes himself an unpatriotic Jew because he is collaborating with the Romans. If he says no, he risks encouraging those who would recklessly rebel and he risks publicly coming forward as one himself, who is a political agent renouncing Roman rule. If he says, I don't know, what place does he have as a teacher? Note that there is, at first glance, no good response. And the automatic, off-the-top-of-the-head response is guaranteed to produce a negative outcome. But the Lord is no mere man, and the Lord is not subject to appeals to his pride. And note the irony here. The Pharisees and the Herodians are dead on target. This is exactly who they're talking to, one who does know the truth, one who does speak the truth, one who speaks it in a way where he is not worried, but who never speaks it foolishly or rashly. So the Lord speaks truth according to wisdom according to the ability to appreciate what is really happening. And so he who knows the hearts of men understands exactly where the question is coming from. And he's not going to give them the answer they want because he is going to speak to the reality of their 
hearts. And so he begins, as he often does, by directing a question to them. Why do you come to me this way? Why do you pretend that you're seeking the truth? Why do you pretend that you want to get it right? Why do you pretend that you're interested in my wisdom when you are not? So note what the Lord does. He first names the reality that is present, the reality in which they are all standing. And having named that reality, a reality of negative motivations, a reality of destructive indifference to the will of God, then the Lord says, now let's speak. Now let's speak because you've asked about a way forward. And so it's here that he says, give me the denarius. Give me the coin that you are in fact carrying on your person. Note how important this is. In asking for the coin, the Lord is asking them, show me what you're already carrying. You already carry Caesar's coin in your pocket. You already carry Caesar's coin in your heart. Let's establish that so that we understand what it is we're dealing with. You already fill your purse with Caesar's coin. And it's in this context that the Lord then says, give to Caesar what belongs to him. And we pause simply right there. Rather than saying yes or no, he simply says, to whom does the coin belong? Give the coin to the one to whom it belongs. But then he says, but that's not the only coin you carry. That is not the only coin you carry. You also carry what belongs to God. And you give him that. And note how Jesus steps out of the self-serving either-or of the question. Either I do this or I don't. And then the Lord says, no, you are already entangled in worldly relationships. You are already entangled with worldly responsibilities. You, in fact, find yourself in this position. And as much as you object to paying the tax to Caesar, you still carry his coin in your pocket. And so deal with that responsibly. But don't for a second think that that's the most important question, because it's not. The question and the issue is not whether you give to Caesar what belongs to him. The question is, are you giving to God what belongs to him? This is why the Lord chooses the order of his words so carefully. The important thing is not rendering unto Caesar. 
The important thing is rendering unto God that which belongs to him. And in saying it that way, Jesus is also saying, and be careful that you don't mix up the money. Be careful you're not trying to take Caesar's coin and give that to God. Be careful that you are not taking what belongs to God and surrendering it to Caesar. What a remarkable statement that is. What will we hear in just a couple days? We have no king but Caesar. The Lord understands. The Lord understands the difficulty here is not the question of the tax. The issue here is how do we pay the coin of ourselves and our lives? It's, it's a commonplace in interpreting this passage to remind those who read it that human life bears the image and the stamp of God from the very beginning. That is how we are created. But this is not merely a statement of our original creation. This is the Lord saying, what do you do with the coin of your time? What do you do with the coin of your attitudes? What do you do with the currency of your will? What do you do? with regard to the obligations you, in fact, do have to God. Boy, that's a word we don't like, obligation. Nobody likes to be obliged. Nobody likes to be obligated. That's why we don't like taxes. I worked hard for this. It's mine. Why am I obliged to give the government or anybody else a cut or a share? But note how that same attitude can come into our religious living, where we begin withholding parts of ourselves, we begin withholding parts of life from the Lord, because it's mine, because I need it, because it makes me happy and it makes me comfortable, because I just would rather not. And so what do I do? I make it a point to take care of my earthly debts, my earthly obligations, and use the fact that I am faithfully doing these things to absolve me of my need to pay my debt to the Lord. And again, beautifully and mysteriously and tragically in a certain way, what is going to happen in just a couple days? He who is the very image and likeness of God. Jesus Christ is going to stretch out his arms on the cross, and what is he going to do? He is going to render to God what belongs to God. Even as those who call for his execution say, we give ourselves to Caesar. And in stretching out his arms on the cross, he is lifting up the coin of the human race, the coin of the human heart of every heart to render it all to God, to open it all to his mercy. As the Lord speaks this way then, he is not saying and insisting upon anything he will not do first and will not do 
to a greater degree than we ever could. Render to God what belongs to God. In a sense, that is the very essence of what we do at Mass. We speak of the Mass as the holy sacrifice. Well, sacrifice is something that is offered, that is rendered to another. We place on the altar bread and wine, and that is transformed into the very presence of Jesus Christ, who on the altar, who on the altar first offers himself once again to his Father before he offers himself to you to be received in Holy Communion. Render to God. What is God? And because he does this, he is available for us, for you, and for me. Note how wonderful this is. The one who stretched out his arms on the cross, rendering to God what belongs to God, is that one who from our altar continues, as he always does, to offer himself, to give himself, to return himself to his Father. And because he does that, he is so wondrously available for all of us. But then what are we doing here? We are rendering to God first what belongs to God. We are not here first to receive. We are here to offer. And it is in the context of the offering that the receiving happens. Sometimes our devotional language around the Mass gets that backwards and gets it wrong. I'm here to receive. Well, yeah, but before I receive, I offer. Before I receive, I offer. Note how as we prepare for the Eucharistic prayer, a couple very beautiful things happen. We pray, place bread and wine on the altar, not wheat and grapes. God gives us wheat. God gives us grapes. We take what he has given us and make bread and wine. Fruit of the vine and the work of human hands. Fruit of the earth and the work of human hands. We render to God what belongs to God and what belongs to God, what we do with the gifts he has given us. And then as we prepare to kneel for the Eucharistic prayer, in the preface dialogue, what do we hear? Lift up your hearts. And the response, we have lifted them up to the Lord. And just listen to the physicality of those words. Lift them up. Lift them up above the things of Caesar. Lift them up above the world. Lift them heavenward as an offering. Lift them and what do we say? We have lifted them up to the Lord. Note the offering. Our offering is lesser than the offering of Christ, but it is a participation in it, a communion with it. This is why during one of the Eucharistic prayers, if we listen carefully, we ask the Holy Spirit to make us 
an eternal offering to the Lord. What a remarkably beautiful thing that is. And so the very essence, the very essence of what we do at the Mass, precisely because this is a sacrifice, is it is a rendering unto God what belongs to God. And note, it is a rendering that involves ourselves, that involves what we do, that involves our time, that involves how we live, and it is in that rendering that the great receiving happens. And what do we see beautifully and wondrously? We receive so much more than we ourselves offer. And yet we receive curiously and beautifully exactly as much as we offer. Because the great offering is Christ. And when we unite our offering of ourselves to him, our offering too becomes infinite in its own wonderful way. But note the attitude, be willing to render to God what belongs to him and recognize that that is the important coin to carry always in the purse of the heart. Amen.